Hi, I'm Bill Crystal. Welcome to Conversations, and I'm pleased to be joined again today by Harvey Mansfield, Professor of Government at Harvard. Thank you. It's always good to be here and with you. Well, thank you. And uh, so let's talk about Tocqueville's Democracy in America, which you've translated with Double Winthrop and written about in several, many articles and I guess a short book uh, on Tocqueville, um, all of which I recommend, needless to say, but, uh, but particularly uh, about liberalism. I mean, you, 40 years ago you wrote a book, uh, The Spirit of Liberalism, in which you said you wanted to, I think, defend a defensible liberalism. I think, is that right? I think that's right. And I think you found Tocqueville to be important in that enterprise. He's the man. Is that right? Yes, okay, think, well, right. I mean, can, we can end this conversation now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's a very bold that's, statement. Uh, yeah. he, uh, he wrote 150 years ago, so we have to bring him up, bring him up to date, but uh, uh, he's the one to start from anyway, that's at the great. very least, and more. Okay, so yeah. why, why start with Tocqueville rather than other famous Well, he presents uh, uh, this defensible liberal, liberalism as, I think, a, a political liberal, liberalism. So he tries to make liberalism more political. And to see what that means, you have to begin from the standard theory of liberalism, which I think is rather apolitical. Standard theory is uh, the 17th century uh, founders of, uh, philo founding philosophers of liberalism, like Hobbes and Locke and Spinoza. Right? And, but also you can see it in, uh, in democratic theorists today and, and uh, liberal theorists like John Rawls. And this liberalism, this standard liberalism, begins from an apolitical situation, uh, which uh, in the 17th century was called the state of nature. And that's a state which is imagined or sometimes said to be historical, but at any rate, imagined or posited uh, as coming before government, it, it, it is, it's a situation of uh, primitive equality right. um, from which uh, government is constituted. So each person starts out uh, in an unpolitical situation uh, and has to create politics through a, a, a system of consent. And that means that uh, the politics that comes after is somewhat stunted because it doesn't take account of the political character of human situations. And by that I mean especially the character which is uh, embodied in the word rule. The original or standard liberalism doesn't like the notion of rule. Rule is a, is a principle by which a society is ruled that is uh, which gives it its particular character and, um, and, and which uh, it uh, continually tries to indoctrinate or enforce or just uh, insinuate to its, right. to its citizens. Yeah. So ruling has to do with what a society intends to do for itself. But it also includes uh, uh, I mean, not every rule is, uh, is perfect or correct. In fact, one could even say none of them is. To, be, to rule is to take things in a certain direction, and that certain direction is always partisan. So politics, in this view, this is an older view of Aristotle, 
politics is always partisan. Fundamental, that's the fundamental character of politics. Now, what liberalism tries to do is to take, out, take away this partisanship and to create an impartial society, a society which doesn't have a particular bent. And, I mean, it does this more or less, uh, but it, it, that's always its uh, uh, presiding intention. So, and why did they do this? Well, the original liberals in the 17th century were afraid of the government of the church. <clears throat> and their general uh, prescription for preventing this or hindering this was to get rid of the notion of rule altogether. So you, you're not going to be ruled by the church because you're not going to be ruled at all by any, by any founding principles other than those uh, that come out of the society, which is not constituted for the sake of a particular form of rule. So neutral principle, neutral formal ne neutral, principles. Neutral kind of. and impartial. That's, right. that's, that's, that's the idea for apolitical liberalism. And from this come uh, individual rights and individual maxims, uh, and especially the notion of, uh, of self-interest. So uh, when, now, what, so what Tocqueville tries to do is to uh, bring back the notion of rule. He doesn't do it under the, that word. So in that way, he, he adapts, he adapts, adapts himself to the hostility of liberalism toward rule, but uh, he does it in in other ways. So what he has, uh, what he has in mind, I think, can be seen in the idea that he attributes to America. <clears throat> and so his liberalism is an attributed liberalism that he finds in America. And that's why he calls his book Democracy in America. That's the book I'm going to discuss. Uh, if you want to look at Tocqueville's political liberalism, you could also look at his other two books. One is on the old regime in France before the French Revolution and that has to do with the uh, surprising um, in, uh, incipient liberalism of the French monarchy. Uh, kind of that uh, the Fr French monarchy sort of undermined and finally destroyed itself by becoming more and more liberal, so to speak, without recognizing it. So that's this uh, surprising and very interesting thesis. In, uh, in that book. And then uh, Tocqueville also wrote a book called Souvenirs, which uh, his particular it's a description and defense of his particular um, political life. Uh, this is another uh, sign of his political liberalism, that he was not just a philosopher of liberalism, but actually practiced it, ran for office, held office in, um, in, a, in a French ministry, not for very long. But uh, was in, was definitely involved in, in politics, and this is his description of his uh, personal experiences in um, in the 1840s, late 1840s, in in the French Republic, and um, and and from which you learn uh, interesting things about his political liberalism. But I want to talk mainly about democracy in America because that's where everything is brought together, I think, and uh, and 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 made a package. 
And liberalism is made political in that. Where, that's where liberalism is made. It's definitely made political democracy in America. So he takes this liberalism from actual political practice. And he takes it not from France, which was uh, not, not yet an advanced liberal country. They'd recently had a revolution, but uh, in America. So where democracy was at its most advanced, most progressive uh, um, embodiment, and uh, and that's so so and so that's where he begins from, and he finds in America and this is the principle of liberalism, you might say, in Tocqueville, um, the maxim of self-interest well understood, that Americans like to understand everything they do in terms of self-interest. They don't. Uh, they don't claim to be virtuous. They don't claim to sacrifice themselves for the common good. Although they do those things, they are sometimes virtuous and they do sacrifice themselves, but they claim less than they could. So in a way they sell themselves short and uh, by, by, by always saying that they act only according to their self-interest in this uh, Self-interest can be individual, but also national. This is the way we hear today of uh, America's interest. Mm -hmm. you know, America's foreign policy should be governed solely by America's interest. Um, so self-interest, but self-interest well understood. The self-interest by itself uh, could be, would be the standard liberalism, right. but you have to understand it well. Now, yeah, so the normal American yeah. discussion of self-interest in a way is they've read or imbibed without reading Locke or something like that, and they think that's the only ground to, that, to that's, base things that's on. That's right, I mean, and, they, and if they read contemporary theorists, they see pretty much the same thing. So uh, Rawls, John Rawls didn't speak of the state of nature, but he spoke of the original position, as he right. called it. And in general, you read these, you read democratic theorists, and you see that they begin from this apolitical situation. So the well understood is a very important modification. Very, very, very important. Yes, yeah. Now that it seems like in the old days, before your translation, was that often translated or rendered properly understood? I somehow think of that phrase as being self-interest properly yes, understood, well, but that's a bad. It, I suppose that's a, not it, the right translation. It is. It is a question. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, uh, uh, but the, uh, the usual phrase is rightly understood. Oh, rightly, that's rightly understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, Tocqueville once used that phrase, huh. and so uh, some people, um, some other translators, uh, use it in this case. But the French is bien entendu. So it's really literally uh, well. So literally, understood. bien entendu means uh, well, well understood. And you can see there is this sort of theoretical uh, issue or uh, complexity in this that um, when you add something to self-interest, uh, is that something which is part of self-interest or is it something which is outside self-interest but added to it? I see. Uh -huh. So is, it, is everything under the name of self-interest, and that's correct, and that would be, be self-interest rightly understood. So to do something, sacri a sacri sacrificing act, that would be self-interest. In a, uh, rightly understood, or is it 
you, or do you say that that's so, that sacrificing act isn't self-interest, but you add it to it? Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so it's uh, self-interest plus X, or plus virtue, or in of of some kind. Um, I think it's the latter, and that's why I, why, why we, Delb and I, uh, translated it as uh, self-interest well understood. So, um, so the self-interest well understood. So everything then depends on what is included and in well understood. And and so there's a number of items, and the first one that you could begin with is rights. And Tocqueville, just in the book, presents, I mean, he doesn't really walk you through these in the no. quasi-systematic way that Hobbes or Locke seem no. to, at least. Yeah. No, I'm he, trying to reconstruct. Right. Uh, his, you know, at the beginning, he speaks of the need for a new political science, a political science that is altogether new in a, in a new world, by which he meant the new world of not just of America, but uh, of, of democracy. Uh-huh. Modern. The modern world is is democratic, and so um, it needs a new political science for that. But then when you read through the book, he never says, this is my new political science uh, that's appropriate for the new world I'm describing. So you have to put that together, and that's part of it. And you put it together out of the things that he says about the political practices of America. And that's somehow important to Tocqueville's intention that he wants you to... That's right. Extract. Yeah, that's not, it. not to simply present you some doctrine yes. or system, right? That, that's exactly right. So you, so you have to be kind of a political person yourself to put together his his political theory, and um, and he gives you the uh, ingredients and a lot of signals and hints, but some of them go in, in different directions, and uh, so it's it's not an easy thing. It turns right. out, it turns out to be. Uh, Quite difficult to put uh, Tocqueville together, but I think that that you're right. That was intentional. That's he wants us to do the work. And he thought there was something almost dangerous, perhaps, about giving people this formulaic doctrine. Yeah, kind of, yeah or, yes, or, yeah, yeah. Or at least yeah. insufficient, I guess. Maybe. Political liberalism is about self-government, and self-government isn't something that can be a gift. It's. <laughs> And you can't just yeah. mechanically. I mean, I guess yeah, that would get right. to what his objection to the formal yeah. liberalism. You can't mechanically apply that, rules. That, that's right. He, yeah, yeah. He somehow yeah. helps you. There are questions of judgment, and and so you, and also you have to look to the circumstances of each country. So democracy in America is going to be different from democracy in France, say. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and he says that uh, his book. Um, is about is about the nature of democracy, um, but also about the character of America, and you have to watch out for things that he says are true of America, which might not be true hmm. elsewhere. And so he says of this principle, self-interest well understood, that is what Americans believe. He doesn't say they do it correctly. This is they say, this this isn't my necessarily my principle or the true principle, but it's what you find. In America, so that's what we start from, I would say. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, good. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so and so what, you, so yeah. what is self-interest well understood? There's all right, all so all these different uh, items. Right? Yeah, it's a, it's a number of <laughs> number of things that that he discusses, uh, and we can run through some of them. And, uh, so the uh, the first that I would mention is uh, is rights. 
and individual rights. See, in standard li liberal theory, your right is connected to your interest. Uh, you have a right to pursue your interest as you see it. So that's an individual thing, again, uh, apolitical. And it doesn't take account of the actual situation in democracy. Democracy is a, is a situation which all are, if not equal, all think themselves equal. So you don't think that there's another person or class of persons or institution that's smarter and better suited to rule than you. <laughs> and yet uh, you also realize that uh, you're, everyone else is in the same situation as you. So there isn't any particular person that you can look to uh, to, be, I mean, uh, to be sure uh, as a guide for what you should do and what your country should do. So uh, in this situation, you sort of look at what others are doing. And what others are doing are also looking in the same way that you are. And it comes out that the ruling sort of factor in a democracy is public opinion, or which is public opinion is ruled by its majority. So the majority, and that, so rights, uh, therefore, are, are much more um, difficult to sustain when there's a powerful majority that you either follow or have to defy or not, not conform to. Mm -hmm. you, know, you could say that one of the best things you can learn from an education or get from an education is how to stand in a democracy is how to stand up against the majority. So, uh, so therefore, Tocqueville tries to understand rights as standing up for your principle, not just following it, or um, because the, the idea of just following your your self-interest is, uh, is it overlooks the weakness of each individual. So, uh, so he 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 derives therefore he derives rights not from this state of nature when all are equal, but from the Middle Ages, and he goes and, and especially in England. So this is when he gives this, this is where he gives uh, America's English heritage uh, credit. Uh, I think in grade schools, uh, the kids still learn about the Magna Carta. Right. But that's, that's what Tocqueville likes. And he likes the Magna Carta better than the state of nature. <laughs> the Magna Carta is the noble standing up to the king and, uh, and, and doing some at some risk to their, uh, their uh, property and, and even their lives. So at risk. So you, you've got to have, have that kind of strength of character. Does he like it? because it is actually truly the origin of rights or because it's better that people think of <laughs> rights in that more, slightly more elevated, yeah, that, that's uh, right. aristocratic or, way. Yes, yeah. yes. You might say we in our minds find a democratic equivalent to the noble standing up to the king. But uh, yeah, not, not that we have, are careful students of English medieval history. No, but it's a certain, or, or, yeah. or even that we, those are our heroes. But no, uh, what we do, this is Tocqueville looking into us and, and seeing a kind of a formidable 
aristocratic element in the notion of rights. And so, uh, and so, and, and so this would be a, an example of, of the well-understood and political character that he wants to infuse. But he's adding sort of more than... It is. He's both seeing it in us and yes. See, adding yeah. it to us, though. Yes, that's right. That, that's encouraging right. Encouraging us to encouraging us to, to think yeah. more of, our, of ourselves more that way. I guess. Almost all of his description is has this character. He's he's describing how he wants us to behave, and and so therefore it's often uh, uh, he, he makes us more perfect than we actually are. Right. So. Uh, that we'll see, especially when it comes to American women. <laughs> okay. But uh, then also, uh, then uh, another element would be mores, mores, mm -hmm. and the uh, French word mers, the, the, that uh, uh, no, a notion that came to be uh, added to uh, standard liberalism of the 17th century, and you, so you see it in 18th century writers, especially for. Tocqueville, Montesquieu, and Rousseau, that, and the, or Maury's are vital element. And then Tocqueville himself, uh, uh, in fact, he gets his reputation for sort of one of the founders of sociology right. for the, well, because he uh, so much relies on the notion of, of Maury's. Maury's have a certain relation to law Standard liberalism just relies on law. It uh, wants to, to uh, supply you with limits to your freedom that will keep your freedom secure and other people's too. Right. And so Hobbes compares the laws to hedges, a hedge that keeps you on the, keeps you from getting off the wrong path. But um, mores are what you actually do or where you actually want to go. And so they have a, a, relationship, a re relationship, he says, that Maurice is often the, the source of a law, but it, then it can, the law, can, on, the, on the contrary, can also be a source of mores, customs. Yeah, what would be the right translation, do you think? I mean, in actual, in actual English that, as opposed to yeah, more, Latin. Yeah, <laughs> lat, yeah, that's a Latin word. Well, it's in habits. English now. Yeah, yeah it is in Yeah, English. habits or customs, customs or, yeah. yeah Ways informal, yeah, yeah in, it's informal. Yeah, you're right. I guess these days, I, uh, in the context of our current president, one often hears that he's challenging both the rule of law and you know, constitutional norms or yeah, norms. Norms. I norms, guess that's not a bad. Norms is, is a it, captures it sort of yeah, right. Yeah. Norms is a informal. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, so this, yeah, so this informal thing, as opposed to a, a statutorily de uh, declared law, which formally requires you uh, usually not to do something, <laughs> um, but also sometimes to do something. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, so, so mores and laws, and then, and then also, uh, mores also have to do with um, how you actually, um, how you actually live. live right. And, and so uh, in uh, democracy and in so in the first uh, um, volume, that Democracy in America has two volumes. In the first volume, he, t he takes up mores and laws and also brings in religion that will come to next, maybe. And um, in the second one, 
he talks about uh, mores as work. And um, work in America is, uh, um, is, is democratized as compared to aristocracy. So there's a new relationship between master and servant, or you could say just between employer and employee that you might think is a source of inequality, and obviously it is, but in a democracy, inequality only on the job. Oh. So, the, so the, the servant or the employee doesn't belong to a lower class of, of human being. Right. Yeah, but he gets paid, he gets a salary. And actually, so does, uh, so does the boss. So the President of the United States has a salary, and this equalizes us. You might not think, <laughs> we, not, we don't tend to think of having a salary as a democratic thing because it's a source of inequality, but it's a, it's a great source of equality that everybody uh, gets paid for, for what he does. And as compared to an aristocracy, where getting paid is a sign of, of being in the lower right. class. Right. And the ruling class doesn't get paid. So, um, so that's what, what an example of, uh, of democratic mores. And, uh, and, and now to, uh, to, to turn also next to uh, religion, in the first um, volume, Tocqueville speaks of religion as in the form of, as a kind of social force. In the, in the form of mores uh, that direct your attention to things that are beyond uh, material gain. Mm -hmm. So the characteristic activity of democracy is a love of material well-being. This isn't something extra or added on to democracy, but it's in the very nature of, of democracy that it doesn't seek immaterial goods. And that's because, uh, once again, in a democracy, everyone's equal, and there's no great authority. So there's nobody to tell you to uh, direct your activity to something which is beyond your view. And your view is what is materially good for you, what is right in front of you. What is your, your immediate goal is to gain a living and gain a certain status which goes with the living. And, um, and beyond that, uh, you need a church or a king to tell you that you should sacrifice your life and devote it to something um, that you don't really see and appreciate. So democracy, uh, the life of democracy is in the life of material enjoyments. And Tocqueville thinks that this is a great danger to democracy that it doesn't fully appreciate. <coughs> and um, he tries to find ways to combat this and to elevate democracy. And the main one that he sees is, uh, is religion. And I suppose that would particularly be a case maybe where the recourse to the liberal philosophers who founded liberal democracy presumably aren't isn't helpful because they are or seem to be fairly materialist in their you know actual 
foundations, I mean, Hobbes and Spinoza and so forth. Yes. So, yeah. so there's this sort of yeah, connection, li- a yes, philosophic li- connection between materialism right. and democracy. And yeah, and liberalism pretends to be neutral between materialism and spiritualism, or whatever it is, it's not materialism. <laughs> yeah. But it, uh, it isn't. Right. So it, it wants uh, materialism, and that goes together with uh, not being political and not having rule. Because materialism gives you a goal that uh, seems to be politically neutral, and uh, you judge you you judge your president. uh, Say, are you better off now? Yeah, that's famous question of Jimmy Carter and of Ronald Reagan, I guess. (laughs) And and are you safer? Which is also a very yes. Are you safer? That's another one. Yes. Materials. Yes. (laughs) Bodily safety. Security. Yeah. Yeah. So that's both domestic and foreign policy are judged by this sort of material well-being. Uh, so religion has, <coughs> is, is, is first presented as, 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 a, um, as, a, as a force, um, social force, that um, makes, uh, ennobles uh, uh, the life of democracy and it keeps us uh, devoted to something especially Christianity gives you a soul every every human being has an has a as a soul that is his and his alone and this gives him a duty to perfect or cultivate uh, his soul to make it as 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 good as he can this is uh, this is a goal in life which is quite different from making money <laughs> or right. gaining security but it it it, uh, it it gives you something hopeful and uh, and and inspiring so uh so and and, and this is just what democracy needs to lift it to lift itself out of its doldrums and then in the second volume he takes up religion again and this is in the first part which is on the intellectual movements of democracy and there uh he contrasts it with philosophy. He says that uh, uh, Americans are followers of Descartes, the, f- the French philosopher, uh, uh, whom uh, uh, Tocqueville identifies, <laughs> contrary to most scholarly opinion, as a philosopher of democracy. <laughs> and so we live democracy, and therefore we don't need Descartes, mm-hmm. the philosopher. So we're we're uh, we're uh, avid followers of Descartes without ever reading him, and we don't need to read him because we already have the conclusion. So this is a kind of comical way of uh, kidding. I was saying, kidding Americans for their uh, perhaps lack of interest in philosophy and and in, in, in French philosophy. Descartes, a French philosopher of the, of the 17th century, one of the standard liberals, you could say, um, and. Um, so yeah, the whole principle of Descartes' philosophy is to doubt all authority. And here he is, uh, here in America, he appears as the authority, which no one doubts. So there's a kind of play here between um, doubt, which is characteristic of philosophy, and faith, which is characteristic of religion. And Americans have a kind of religious faith in the philosopher of doubt, you might say, or in the principle of doubt. 
And uh, so he goes on there. To, this is the question of whether religion is true or not. And it's, it's not only socially effectual and powerful, but uh, is it true? And uh, there is this truth in it, he says, that uh, if, if, you're, if you doubt, you're, you're, uh, you, you can't move or act until you somehow resolve your doubt. So you can you get up, wake up in the morning. <laughs> right. What are you going to do next? So you, you've got to have an answer to what some, what's good about your life that you want to pursue in order to in order to get up. So, well, but once you get up, then uh, you've put your doubt behind you. You sort of you've either dismissed it or or put it aside. Uh, in order to act. So uh, acting requires faith or belief. So that uh, all action, even the action of atheists, so right. <laughs> requires that you believe in something. You can't just be an agnostic because uh, to, in order to act, you're, you're, you're assuming that it's safe to do so or that it's reasonable to do so when in fact you don't really know that. So, um, so this is the kind of truth of religion that uh, it, 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 it gives a principle of, of action, of action that uh, on, on your own behalf or on behalf of God, say, or both together. It, it makes sense out of life in a way that philosophy, which is doubt, yeah. cannot. And Tocqueville's well disposed to at least this version of religion, I suppose, in a democracy. You know, this understanding of religion. This understanding of yeah. religion, right. Right. He's less uh, fearful than Hobbes and Locke that'll go off and seem uh, to take everything over. Yeah, that's right. He is. Uh, especially uh, in Christianity, which gives you the, the possibility of a distinction between church and state. With Christianity, but Christianity is apolitical. <laughs> Strangely enough, and this is this what liberalism imitates this characteristic of of uh, Christianity. Oh, so so it, the Christianity doesn't have a law attached to it as as Judaism and and Islam do. And um, this means that uh, it's it's possible to be to have a pure Christian soul without uh, its having any political consequences. And this is what Americans believe, and this is what they practice. And so I think that's, you can take that as a, another feature of, of the new political science of, of Descartes. R religion is absolutely necessary, but uh, it's very important and necessary to keep it out of politics. Uh, so in this way, he finds a way to keep religion out of politics without disposing of it, without dismissing it, as, um, or, or without transforming it into something purely, purely political or purely democratic, as all of which uh, the standard liberals, liberals of the 17th century attempted to do. That's part of mores, really, or, or comes from mm -hmm. mores, or supports mores, or yeah. Something, yeah. Yeah, religion. And, and, and this particular religion, right. well, she seems to recommend 
Uh, although perhaps uh, his own faith, uh, there was a letter he wrote early in his life, and his own faith, he, he seems to seems to have been questioned or, lo or even lost. Uh -huh. He said one, once when his father led him into a library full of atheist books. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's something he recommends and sees the value of, and even the truth of. Um, but that um, so, uh, didn't quite follow or didn't quite himself believe. Right. Yeah. So that's... Uh, so that's that's doubt and uh, and and uh, and faith in religion and in, in, in the first part of the second volume. Now, religion can take us uh, to the question of women. <clears throat> women are taken up as part of the mores. In uh, there's five chapters on women in uh, the third part of the second volume, where Tocqueville takes up. And, and the connection between women and religion is that he, he says in the first volume that uh, the soul of woman is religion. Uh. Um, well, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know how to understand that fully, but uh, it is tr it's true that they're uh, traditionally known as the pious right. sex. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's that's the case, and then when when it, when it comes to the um, to the chapters on women, um, those are very interesting. Yeah. How does uh, this supposed inequality of the sexes, inferiority of women to men, how does democracy deal with that? And the answer, he says, again, is found in America, in what Americans do and believe. And it's not something which he claims to impose or to have a, a personal solution for. But this is, again, uh, to be found in, in, the, in the practice of American life. And there he says that uh, women are, are, made e are found equal in, uh, to, uh, to men in, um, in American life. They're equal in everything except that they... Uh, have to submit to the bonds of matrimony. That's the phrase which is used. They have to be married. This is a necessity of life in those days. It would be very much more difficult for a woman to live by herself um, in those days than it was, uh, than it is today, for sure. But, um, so when, but since women necessarily have to marry, Finding someone to find someone to protect them, and to get make uh, and and and, and uh, support them, they uh, they they do this willingly and voluntarily. So they submit to this to the authority of men or husbands. It is really um, because there's no alternative. But they're sensible enough to see that there's no alternative, and also they get a choice as to which one. Right. Yeah. Again, that's not, not every man is available. <laughs> but but um, yeah, the, 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 your your choice—it's a necessary thing, which is also a chosen thing. Now, there, there you have uh, another criticism of of standard liberal theory. Standard liberal theory says we're all free, perfectly free. That's what um, 
uh, within the bounds of the law of nature. That's how Locke describes the state of nature. But then it turns out we have to give up our right. freedom in order to, because it's necessary to do so. So liberalism is, com is composed of promises of freedom and laws of necessity. That's a kind of contradiction and uh, weakness in, in standard liberalism. Well, it is true that we human beings face this problem, that things are necessary for us, but also we want to be ourselves, and this means we have to be free. And uh, so I think Tocqueville puts that together in a better way. He says that he finds this, he finds the model for submission to necessity in women, the behavior of American women, and especially in the bonds of matrimony, the marriage contract, he might say, as opposed to the social contract. Here's another way of well understanding self-interest. He doesn't say that men are by nature um, superior to women. It just seems that uh, the greater physicality maybe of, a, of the husband um, make, makes him the, 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 the authority in the family. But then uh, women, uh, with their example, of, of willing um, uh, acceptance, willing, not, they voluntarily, it's, it's not reluctant or submissive, it's neither of those two things, but willing as equal. You know. He finds that uh, example uh, that, that so impressive that he says if you wanted to understand what makes Mar America itself, said you you should look to the superiority of its women. And that's, he doesn't say whether that's women, right. American women are superior to other, pe other women or whether American women are superior to American men. Right. But, um, so uh, it's this superiority of, of behavior and of, of, of thought. And, that, and, 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 and that's why women sort of stand for morals or mores. They... They, uh, they give this example of willingness to be good or to do the right thing morally. And, and they do this uh, freely because as girls, they haven't been brought up in convents or given an education which tries to maintain their innocence. So, uh, nothing like, like being taught by nuns in a convent or something. But, um, they, um, they, they, so, so they're they're not chaste in their minds, but they're correct in their behavior. So they, so they, they're aware of the possibilities of immorality. Their morality is is not uh, ignorant. Right, and also, don't you think? In in I've always been struck by those chapters that even if the current situation of men and women is different, the lesson there of accepting the limits of what one could do, but then, as I think Tocqueville says, they're very powerful or very influential, at least, yeah. uh, in America, by accepting their right. their role, you might say. Yes. That's a model for, yeah. not just for women, right, but maybe for right. legislators or aristocrats or yeah. <laughs> philosophers. Right. I mean, it's yeah. sort of a model of not what you have to accept. Mm -hmm. Democracy, you have to accept that in this era. And this, yeah, this picture of the democratic family or the American democratic family is, is not uh, 
that flattering to men. Right. Yeah. No. Because uh, men, American men, are are engaged in making money. Right. They are out so of the house. They are out of the home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the you know, the American women represent the private sphere, the authority, the private sphere, that private sphere that you can live a dignified and free life in in private life, as well as in um, public. And what are American men doing in uh, in making money? They're engaging in this very unerotic activity that makes them rather boring uh, husbands. This is, again, a trial to their wives to the point that uh, Tocqueville says that American women are sad and resolute. Yeah. Well, that's, she says that of the pioneer woman, but yeah. I think the pioneer wo woman is the, is, the, is the essential woman. And um, so, the, um, so that they're... Right. Yeah, so the, the, you know, so the economics is, is sort of put down, I would say, in this... Uh, um, picture of uh, of political liberalism, and he doesn't offer the economic life as the example of the private sphere, as as today people tend to do, especially conservatives say, well, let's rely on the private sphere, and by that they mean the economy. They don't mean the family. Mm -hmm. You know, incidentally, that. The, the word economy you know, originally meant in Greek and uh, in Aristotle's presentation, the household management. So uh, to, uh, we say Tocqueville wants to return uh, the attention of today's liberalism to, to the private sphere in the family and, uh, and, and what goes on there. More than the economic sphere, which is actually, to him, uh, the public sphere because it's out of the home and it's, um, and it's, and it's making money. So, um, so yeah, yeah, so e economics is, that is, is, is something is, is rather, is, is less um, praised and uh, right. admired, I think, in his uh, presentation. He, uh, he, yeah, I would guess that he do, he doesn't think highly of Adam Smith's so-called system of liberty, uh -huh. yeah, which is an economic liberty that doesn't rely on political um, and, and, and political guidance. To put it mildly, it's directed against that. Right. Yeah. So this sort of this uh, anti-political character of today's conservatism, I think, would not be shared by by Tocqueville. But also making the, I think the, the mores is so important there because I don't know that much about Smith, but he has the wealth of nations, so that's the economics, and then the theory of moral sentiments, so that's morality, but nothing on politics in a certain, you might that's right. say, it's almost an example. Not, nothing is too strong, of course, but I mean, yeah. and he, uh, Tocqueville sure. seems so, yeah. that by itself isn't enough, either the economics or the Right. Let's say sentiments are, you know, yeah. not connected to politics is not, not enough for uh, to prevent liberalism from yeah. declining into a kind of what sort of yeah. For Adam Smith, when an economic person turns to politics, that he, that's bad sign. Yeah, that's corruption or some yeah, kind of Smith trouble. Would have, Smith would have yeah. yeah materialism plus 
yeah. sentimentality or something. That would be too harsh. But I mean, you know, that's yeah. right, right, right. more sentimental. That doesn't yeah. cut it for yeah. Tuck Fall. Right. Yeah. Materialism say, and morality, yeah. but not. But politics is so central for Tuck Fall, I guess. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Right. So that now that takes us to another point on on uh, in on, on well understood, which is um, self government. Yeah. So the the most valuable liberty is political liberty, and you mustn't so pursue other liberties to the extent that you forget about political liberty, because that's the one which makes all the other liberties possible. Economic liberty requires political liberty. And, uh, and this also would apply to artistic liberty or philosophical liberty. So philosophers should take an interest in in political liberty and in the question whether sort of human freedom is 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 possible. Um, so uh, the first volume of Democracy in America is mostly about political liberty, and uh, it, it has two parts. There. Two parts to the first volume, and the first is about the formal institutions of self-government. Um, and here, Tocqueville gives his famous analysis of the township, right. which is um, spontaneous when um, um, a pioneer moves to, to uh, in, into the forest. He finds others living nearby, and he wants to connect or with them or to be able to see them or, or deal with them. It needs a road. A road is something that you can't build by yourself. You need others. So there's sort of these, these useful needs sort of bring people together and they cooperate. And to cooperate, they need a little bit of, uh, of, of government. And uh, to have a little bit of government, they need a little bit of formality, offices, people elected. So this is democracy in its sort of original or primitive spontaneity, that there is something in the, in the, human, uh, in the human soul, uh, that, that just the need for useful things uh, you, that you can't do by yourself and that send you uh, into... Uh, into political relationships, into the creation of, the, of, of political institutions, that is, continuing institutions, um, and which are electable because you would want to get the best person uh, to, to run the show uh, and, um, and take advantage of, of differences or inequalities in this common um, enterprise. Mm -hmm. It's very low level, and then uh, then he goes up through state governments. Uh, interesting discussion, you know, discussion of governors, what they do, and the judiciary. That um, not only uh, do democracies sort of create um, institutions of ruling, but they create judges who check or watch over. The rule, so you need freedom requires both legislating and then checking on the legislators. So a certain distinction of function that again doesn't come from any theory, but is seen in actual practice. And then finally, uh, the Constitution, 
the American Constitution is is based on a theory. So, uh, but uh, <laughs> there's this difficulty. It's based on two theories. So, <laughs> in a way, <laughs> the the importance of theory is uh, is is uh, lessened by the fact that uh, there are two that were chosen. That whether a, a union is a is a union of individuals <coughs> or uh, uh, a league of states. So. The, other states, and so the Constitution combines those two opposite definitions of union. So you've got in the formal institutions of self-government in America um, um, a, um, a, 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 a spectrum from what is pure spontaneity to what is almost pure artificiality, requiring a lot of thought and uh, referring to theories. And if you look at the Federalist, you see that uh, the American Constitu Constitution is indeed based on political science and on and on theory to a surprising extent. So this is the formal; these are formal institutions of self-government. But again, uh, they turn out not to be as important as they think they are. Right. <laughs> and here, uh, you could say, enters uh, Tocqueville's uh, criticism of the Federalist, um, because in the second part of uh, of, of uh, the first volume of Democracy in America, he introduces you to the informal of, uh, uh, institutions, or non-institutions, really, um, of, of self-government, like um, parties and uh, the free press, lawyers, say, their importance, uh, and also to the problem that uh, in a democracy, in an American democracy, the people really rule. He speaks of the sovereignty of the people. Now in Hobbes, a uh, standard liberal theorist, you've got a theory of sovereignty I mean, um, in which the sovereign is, is given authority, but it doesn't say how the sovereign will use that authority. That's again the neutrality or impartiality of, uh, of uh, standard liberal theory. Uh, but uh, in America, the people are sovereign in a much more definite and principled sense. And they, and they, they overrule or override their representative institutions, which are designed to take government sort of a little bit away from them and to take it out of their hands and to give them the power to say yes or no every four years or two years, but but uh, not really to wield it. Right. Um, but, uh, so th here's where he discloses his definite, I think, conclusion that, that rule in a democratic society is, is there and has to be there and will always be there. And there isn't any neutral or impartial way of avoiding what the people want. Uh, in, a democracy is a government in which the people rule, <laughs> and and then, and they, that means also one in which they can misrule, and so we come to the famous phrase of the tyranny of the majority, in uh, in the, in this second part of, of the first volume, and the tyranny of the majority is, uh, and, and as as checks in it, and, uh, there are ways in which it doesn't. 
uh, operate fully, and that's because of the influence of lawyers and and the it, 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 the uh, decentralization of administration, things like that. But still, um, the tyranny of the majority issues in um, the American institution of slavery. And it is striking, as I recall, at the end of that, to have that long chapter, though, which is an example of democracy tyrannizing and yeah. brutalizing, you might say, in terms of the uh, yeah. Indians, the Native Americans, and. And it's, I mean, historically, I think this is true. I don't know if Sokol really makes this point. The treatment of the blacks and the Indians gets worse under democracy, not better. That is, that's right. More that is slavery gets more embedded by yeah. the time Tocqueville's here. Yeah. Andrew Jackson, the great Democrat, uh, the first real, you might say, Democratic president, as opposed to the slightly aristocratic that's right. founders, is yeah. a much more unabashed partisan uh, of slavery and much was, more unabashed. Yeah. Yeah. Destroyer of the yeah Andrew Jackson was he was president when Tocqueville came to America, was, uh, democratized uh, support for slavery yeah. and made and therefore as you say made it necessary to have a civil war. Because you you weren't just it, it wasn't just that the slave owners uh, an aristocracy very few in the South uh, were support, wanted slavery but but all the, uh, a great majority of the whites down there. So uh, yeah, so that made, so that's kind made of things the, a lot. The, the or, picture, or I suppose, a majority un uneducated, unelevated, untempered by all these yeah uh, by things these that, things yeah yeah right. Um, that brings us uh, to uh, well, uh, the, the 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 purpose of the second volume, you could say. In democracy in America is to s solve this, right. or so, some, this the problem that the that the first one ends with, uh, democracy in Russia and democracy in America. Right. Dem there's, there's democracy with slavery, or s servility, versus democracy with freedom. So which which is it going to be? And the answer you get in the um, in the second volume, well, it may be America, <laughs> not, right. not for sure. But um, but maybe, and so and and here's what uh, and what comes out of this um, is uh, uh, is uh, the importance of uh, associations. Right. That um, associations stand between the individual and the government or the central authority, and uh, they enable. Uh, uh, an, an in, a weak individual to become stronger by uh, being in, uh, in in an association that isn't everybody, and so uh, Tocqueville seems to think that the that the, uh, that the American gift of forming associations is the best. Uh, uh, Cure for the remedies of democracy, I mean, for the uh, ills of democracy, that is, uh, which f focus on um, the weakness of the individual. Hmm. How to strengthen the individual is to understand him as an associating, uh, a being who associates. So you have to understand what he calls both the art and the science of association, the science of association, how it is that. Um, a being with human necessities 
can also be free and choose how to deal with those necessities by cooperating with other people. In the art of uh, association, that's just how to do it and the experience of it. So um, I compare uh, American universities with European to look at, to see the difference. Uh, an American university has uh, hundreds of, you know, at Harvard that we have about 250 student organizations, mm -hmm. whereas uh, in a European university, these don't exist, but uh, and, and what happens, happens because uh, the central authority uh, institutes it or recommends it or requires it. So you don't have all these student-run activities, extracurricular. <laughs> In, a, in an American university is more important than the curricular part these days, especially. Um, Which Tocqueville wouldn't entirely object to, though. No. That's, that's a habit yeah, that's of right. sort of self-government. And also, you, right? you, uh, there's a price to be paid in that, uh, for, uh, for this associating, and that's inefficiency. That it's, it's, good for, it's better for people to sort of get it up on their own and uh, then for it to be done more efficiently by a central right. bureaucracy. And uh, so, and you, and you learn something by, uh, you learn the art of, art of being free. There's an art of it. Right. Same, by being able to be with other people who are also free. And, and, um, and getting something done or espousing some principle or some policy. So all that, is uh, the art of association. He even speaks of uh, the human association as if all humanity could be associated in some way. And he certainly speaks of it as, a, as a, uh, the nation as an association. And he also speaks of the marriage association. Mm -hmm. So all, all of this uh, is associating is, so he's, is the standard liberal theory has us as individuals. So, fundamentally individuals. And then and the then, state. Anyway, then we, and then, then the state. Yeah. That comes from our consenting to the state, but it doesn't come from this associating. So what so Tocqueville wants, uh, wants us to look at what people actually do, and especially in America, to see how association can be the essential part of, of, of human nature the essential activity. And this uh, brings about, we're getting towards the end now, the um, importance of honor. But just on association, I mean, making that yeah. fundamental is a pretty fundamental challenge, I suppose, to the liberal, the formal, you know, original liberal view of things. I mean, it seems so much it more is. like Aristotle or it is. man yeah, is by nature. Saying that man animal. is by nature political animal, something like that. But I certainly see okay. that just an in, associating animal in real life. I mean, the habit of having to make decisions and take be, be responsible for those decisions and see the consequences of them in whatever mm -hmm. neighborhood association or mm -hmm. uh, civic or religious or you know a million yeah. kinds yes. does lead people to think in a different way or to. Yeah. almost be in a different, act in a, live in a different way than thinking of yourself right. as voting once and then submitting for four years to diktats. Right. I mean, it really is a very yeah. different, I suppose, I suppose Tofa would say that the original liberals didn't think enough about yeah. right. people becoming 
yes. formally free but actually yeah. servile or something yeah. like that. And this applies to economics, too. And what is important about economics is getting together. A startup company, right. that's what all this students wanted, what college students yeah. wanted, want to do when they graduate, a startup company, yeah. uh, but, uh, but, uh, or, or joining a, a, an association which exists and, um, and, and getting a job there. So uh, it's, it's not so much individual decision-making or looking at, it, looking at economics from the standpoint of the consumer, choosing what to buy. And so, and so not so much a free market in the sense of uh, individualized uh, uh, choices right. with a spontaneous order that emerges from this kind of individualized freedom. So yeah. It's, um, yeah, that's so, so you would understand an, an economy. You would have to look at it to see what actual companies there, what industries and how those industries are organized, say, in, in order, rather than just thinking of an economy right. as, of, as, um, uh, as a purely theoretical construct. So do that. Now, honor ambi and ambition. Yeah. This comes in under the discussion of mores in, in, um, in the, the, second, the third part of the second volume. So... Um, um, here again, uh, it might, honor might seem to be a, a totally aristocratic thing. And it is essentially an aristocratic thing, Tocqueville says, that, that those who live their life according to honor, are really a, that's a very different life from uh, democracy. Uh, in particular, there is a the distinction between what is honorable and what is honest. Or, or what is just, and uh, this is particular char characteristic of aristocratic society. So fighting duels, you know, it's unjust, or to fight a duel, the king doesn't like that because the a waste of our talent and right. and uh, energy. <laughs> but honor requires it. So, so that's, a thing can be honorable but not just or not not really honest or not sensible. Um, and, but, and democracy tends to bring those two things together, that what is, uh, honor is made more sensible. So um, it, it um, brings, within the family, it brings fathers and sons together. That's, a, that's a, sort of the essential thing of a democratic family, that um, the, the son is not the successor to his father, uh, the, the eldest son, but uh, the two are, are closer and they can have a more natural, sort of loving bond of affection. He's, he's pointing out to aristocrats with their families that uh, there's attractions to a more democratic way of thinking and living. <laughs> that you, you have more... Yeah, but just have a, a more genial, uh, more congenial family, in it. and then and life is sweeter in this in this way. So, but still, uh, uh, honor still remains, um, and you see this. Uh, he says when Americans travel abroad, um, each of them tries to make out some 
way in which he is different from all other Americans. So this makes Tocqueville think that uh, every American has a secret desire to live in an aristocracy where he is the noble and the aristocrat. So that democracy is not so not so far. It's had, within a democracy is a hidden uh, sort of lowering uh, aristocracy that um, in which each uh, individual actually wants a rule that is quite different from <laughs> the public rule that he supports and acknowledges. Uh, and, um, and this shows in democratic vanity, the vanity of democratic representatives. Uh, democratic representatives usually are nobodies as, as compared to uh, nobles in an aristocratic assembly. Uh, so they, they have to establish their own importance and they do this at the same time that they establish the importance of the people they represent. So you hear that all the time in Congress. So they say, my constituency, the people in my constituency think thus and so. Right. Yeah. And so you try to ma make them important and yourself important in the, in the same breath. Um, so that's uh, democratic speechifying, you see this. But this is also ambition. So uh, it's very honorable to, uh, that ambition is a seeking of honors. So very honorable to, to acquire some, um, some um, to, uh, to use your ambition to acquire uh, some uh, valuable office or situation. And uh, this leads him to discuss revolutions uh, that the most honorable or thing would might be to lead a revolution but he thinks that great revolutions will no longer be uh, likely in uh, in democracy because democracy tends to give everybody a little bit of ambition and at the same time to to pull down greatness of ambition so there's no greatness in uh, democratic ambition Except that it seems that there was some uh, greatness uh, earlier on than uh, the century of 17th century of official liberalism, and that was, uh, he says, 300 years before uh, Napoleon. So greatness of uh, revolutions leads you to discuss war, and war leads you to discuss armies, and. Uh, how armies uh, have, have a kind of a scale of ambitious office officers, uh, officers and non-commissioned officers. Toffel says, "Watch out for the non-commissioned right. officers. They're the, they're the ones who are, are the most ambitious. The, the commissioned officers don't want to do anything; they just want to sit there. And democracies don't like to fight; they prefer peace. So a democratic army is." Uh, has, has only these few non-commissioned officers who are unsettled and um, whose ambition is is maybe dangerous. But a revolution uh, can also be a revolution in ideas, and he, he brings this up at the end of uh, at part three in volume two, a revolution in ideas. And the example he gives is of Luther.
And he, and he, uh, then in the 26th chapter of, uh, which is the last chapter of his friend, he mentions the name of Machiavelli, uh, quotes something from the prince, actually misquotes something from the prince, just as Machiavelli likes to do, the master of misquotation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, he, and he gives you to uh, wonder whether Machiavelli wasn't a kind of uh, founder or, or a great revolutionist of ideas. He refers to Napoleon and Machiavelli in, the, in that same chapter. Napoleon, and then he and he uses the phrase, the the greatest cap, captain of modern times. Believed that revolution is most likely to be done by the young, and therefore the rules should be put in their hands, in the hands of the young. Now the greatest captain of modern times is obviously Napoleon. And yet, uh, he said, uh, if you look 300 years before, you would see that Napoleon <coughs> could have been a great revolutionist, right. uh, only in a different way than he did, couldn't, couldn't um, be as he was, than an actual commander of an army, but he might have to command his army sort of as a captain of of philosophy and making people think differently and bringing about uh, modernity. Now he mentions the name of Luther, and that's 300 years before Napoleon, but he doesn't mention anybody, and he also mentions the name Machiavelli, who uh, was a contemporary of Luther. And also both of them, you could say, were great uh, uh, leaders of, ambitious leaders of revolutions and ideas. And uh, one wonders whether Tocqueville wasn't comparing himself or his situation to that of um, Luther and Machiavelli. And the term captain is, is reminds of Machiavelli. Right? It does, he yeah. Or, he refers a lot to, to captains. and It's also used in, uh, in Christian thinking, too. In, in, in Christianity, you often get the uh, the um, analogy between actual warfare and spiritual warfare, like as in onward Christian soldiers right, right. marching as to war, as That's to yeah. not 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 actually in war, but as to war. So Machiavelli took that too. So, Ma- so Machiavelli p- picked up that analogy, and yeah, yeah. yeah and then uh, so what, what Machiavelli did was to to attack aristocracy. And there's nothing that he despises more than the gentleman, as you can see in his uh, in his work. The the gentleman pretends to be gentle, but no one who actually is gentle can uh, can succeed. Uh, gentle might be uh, or must be a fraud, and so Machiavelli thinks that the the people who succeed are those able to use both force and fraud. So, um, so, so he, does, he, he deconstructs the notion of gentlemen and, and thereby the whole principle of aristocracy. And what you're left with is the prince and then the people whom the prince uh, treats as his subjects or slaves. And that, this is what 
Machiavelli, I mean, Tocqueville quotes from Machiavelli's fourth chapter of The Prince in that, in that sole mention of, of Machiavelli that he has. And uh, so, so uh, you could say that Machiavelli didn't want democracy. He didn't want to in, intend, he wasn't intending to found the democratic principle or, or democratic rule, but he led to that because he, he destroyed the alternative to it, well, namely aristocracy or some kind of elevation of the human spirit and therefore of those who rule in the name of, of some elevating principle. And, uh, and so what Tocqueville does is he doesn't try to attack democracy in the way that um, Machiavelli tried to attack aristocracy and thereby produced democracy without meaning to. So he doesn't try to attack democracy, but he tries to re revive, uh, re-inspirit democracy with, uh, with features of aristocracy. And then, and then I think that would be a, a kind of summary understanding of uh, self-interest well understood. The well understood consists of bringing back um, aristocracy to democracy without saying so, and still without really challenging the democratic principle of, of the rule of the people. And you can't challenge it? I mean, he, why, why not be more explicit in saying the will of the people or democracy is only partly true or partly correct? And, we need to have a big yeah, Well, mixed you could say so 20th century totalitarianism shows you why not. <laughs> they, you try to challenge the principle of democracy, uh, but to do so, you have to yourself become democratic and to appeal to the worst features of, of democracy. So, so, so it's a, another kind of tyranny. So, so you have to submit. Yeah. To, uh, so to speak, to democracy or yeah, to, right. to guide us. Yeah, well, both the Nazis and communists were Democrats. And right. It's a democratic movement in the, in the bad sense. So, uh, yeah, so the, I guess some, somehow uh, democracy is just more powerful and it's a, a rule we have to submit to. Right. It's a it's present state of civilization. To be civilized, you have to be democratic. But to be democratic, you have to be a little bit aristocratic. And you have freedom. I mean, freedom is a democratic yeah. principle that you can appeal to, right? And That's right. Self-interest right. well understood. Yeah. So uh, uh, additions of aristocracy enable democracy to be both equal and free. Let's say the, the, uh, the equality and freedom go together in democracy because it wants both. If people are, are totally equal, they can only be so by being equally free. And if people are equally free, then they can only be so by say, being equal. So, no, no authority, no, no natural principle of, or that justifies the rule of some over others is possible. So those, Tocqueville says that there is a kind of theoretical point at which uh, Equality, uh, equality and freedom converge, and this is what democracy wants. We're all equal and we're all free. Okay. But you can have that only if you understand that there are also ways in which 
the desire for equality hurts freedom or the ways in which the desire for freedom um, limits equality. And he shows you all these aspects of aristocracy, which on the one hand he says are no longer relevant in a sense or no longer achievable. Yeah. Yet yeah. they can be rep they can be not replicated, but they can their effects can be yeah. replicated or achieved in a democratic way. I mean yeah. I mean it's a funny for a book that says we're in a democratic age, <clears throat> aristocracy is gone, there's an awful lot of discussion of aristocracy. There is. You know there is indeed shows something yeah. that teaches you something. Right? It does, you it know? does. Yeah. See, so he lived in a time when the two two principles were still alive, or at least when aristocracy had recently been overthrown. So he was very, and he was an aristocrat himself. So, in in his life, he he could see both those things at work. But he keeps and, it alive uh, for us. In he the keeps book, it alive for us. Yeah. So he brings back aristocracy in the way that we can appreciate it and use it. So, and and, and that is, I think, still valuable. More than valuable, essential. Right, that's key to yeah. to a, a defensible liberal. Or it is, a, I think, and that's the, uh, to a, a, a renewed political liberalism, which understands how the people rule, and and therefore takes care that they do so properly, or rightly, or well. Well, that's a very uh, that's a. Uh, wonderful tribute to Tocqueville, which he would appreciate. I mean, I do think one thing about his method is he disguises his own, the radicalness and fundamental character of his thought. Yes. In order to, yeah, yes. it makes us discover it in a way, as you've uh, laid out here. That, that's right, and he, and he takes, and he, he seems to have a very modest position. Right, I'm just explaining. <laughs> which I think is, <laughs> which I think is uh, totally not the case. Sort of the opposite of Machiavelli. I mean, no. Yeah, he's another Machiavelli, but the uh, but the opposite. Yeah, both of them uh, sort of disliked philosophy in quotes, official philosophy. So Machiavelli is different from the Marcellus and the Averroistic types. Because yes. You thought you couldn't. Yes, that's right. So he makes a direct and open attack on Christianity. He was the first to do that. Uh, in the Renaissance, and, uh, and, so, and so that that that's really the the, the, the what show, uh, most obvious sign of his uh, making a fundamental revolution in ideas. So, and uh, so uh, and so he's, he attacks philosophy, and because it's philosophy at that time was Aristotelian, and and Tocqueville just dismisses, omits ignores uh, standard liberalism because uh, he, he thinks that that, that that is the philosophy, which the, the present philosophy, and, and, and which must bear, so to speak, all the um, uh, tr uh, troubles and, and difficulties that one can assign to philosophy. But left alone leads to a kind of materialism and yes, that's lack right. of ability yeah. to defend. So, yeah, to liberal, defend the liberal philosophy leads to the triumph of, of non-philosophic materialism. And, and, and so at the same time that Tocqueville <laughs> enlivens liberalism, he you know, sort of you know, wants to revive philosophy and make philosophy uh, understand and cooperate with the uh, democratic principle.
So he accepts Machiavelli's revolution, but yeah. corrects it or corrects it. Yeah, from a point of view beyond from beyond Machiavelli, one might say, or yeah, from uh, from, from the unintended consequence of Machiavelli, what Machiavelli didn't see. Uh, and Tocqueville therefore has to have some vision from beyond. I mean, some understanding that's not simply yeah derived from Machiavelli. I mean that. From no, it goes that's back right. before Machiavelli, no, I suppose. Yeah. And, uh, it's been said, I think, uh, correctly that uh, that Tocqueville is Aristotle's modern representative. High praise. A good note to end on. And right. uh, thank you so much for explaining Tocqueville so much. Uh, I won't say so much more clearly that he explains himself, but he's, he's a wonderfully yeah. clear writer in so many ways. And mm -hmm. but his great clarity, of course, disguises in some ways. Did you think the, the fantastic brilliance of the exposition and? Yeah. Sort of disguises the underlying uh, depth of the thought somehow right. in, in Tocqueville, which you've okay. which you brought out. So thank you, Harvey Mansfield, for my pleasure. Me today, yeah. uh, and thank you for joining us on conversations.